Somebody say amen. All right. You know, it's a tremendous blessing to be able to worship the Lord, and we're thankful for uh, our team that leads us in worship. And um, I know that this morning, um, I I hope I'm not giving away any secrets here, but this morning at at about 3 o'clock this morning, Kyle and Macy went to the hospital. Okay, so we don't we don't know anything yet, but um, hopefully there's probably a, a baby on the way. But um, you know, be praying for them. And um, speaking of babies, I know that uh, Brian and Tamara had theirs, uh, little Benjamin, uh, Benjamin Bryce. And um, if 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 you want to be a blessing to them, um, if you want to go to mealtrain.com. You can uh, sign up to take a meal to them and to feed them during this time when uh, she's kind of out of commission for a little bit. But um, I know that it's a blessing um, to be able to, to help our, our new moms. And, and so uh, I know Roxana would appreciate uh, people get, getting on there and signing up. Um, but um, I want to talk a little bit this morning about um, um, out of John about John's old friend. And um, I know that uh, it's, it's a, a beautiful thing when we talk about um, the book of John, but I want to end up in, in John chapter 21, and uh, I'll be reading from there in just a moment. You know, there's a quote that I want to I share with you, and it goes like this, it is a far, far better thing that I do than I have ever done. It is a far, far better rest that I go to than I have ever known. This is a famous quote. It was Sidney Carton's words as he mounts the guillotine at the close of Charles Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities. A far, far better rest that I go to than I have ever known. I was assigned that novel many years ago. and Those lines have kind of stuck with me. And that's really the thing that, you know, as as you look at a a book, a, a good ending if you will, uh, is, is, is just that. A good closing line will do that. It sticks with you. And I want you to understand something this morning, that the Apostle John was a, a, a great author. He wrote the book of John. He wrote uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He also wrote the book of Revelation. And, and uh, the writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he closes the account here of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has spent close to 20 chapters talking about who Jesus is and why he came to earth. And and he's, he's talked all about that. And at the end of chapter 20, he says this. He says, but these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing you may have life in his name. But even with that statement, John's not quite ready to let us go. It's as if he wants to put his shoulder, his hand on your shoulder and on mine, and, 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 and he wants to leave us with a challenge, one parting thought of what it means to believe the Lord Jesus. And so we're going to look at these verses uh, 15 through 19 in chapter 21 in just a moment. But uh, before we do, let's, let's ask the Lord's help in prayer. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. 
And I thank you for all that you do for us every day. Lord, I ask that in this moment that your Holy Spirit would just illuminate your word. Father, that we would not only see it in context of where it was written and to who it was written to, but Father, that we would personalize it, that we would ingest, that we would digest your word. And Father, that we would see application for us today. I pray, Father, that you would encourage our hearts as only you can through your word. Lord, we love you and we praise you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. See, most of chapter 21 in the Gospel of John is about John's old friend. His old friend that we know as Simon Peter. You know, that very impulsive person. The one who runs out there ahead. The one that's always trying to get on the front end of things. And as John looks back over his life, to his old friend, he observes some things about how the Lord changed Simon Peter. He recognizes that and he writes them down for us. And there's, there's three stories about Peter in this chapter that I want to just highlight very quickly. The first one tells us how Jesus appeared to Peter and the other disciples after they went fishing. You remember it had been a while since Jesus had been resurrected and at, at some point uh, Peter said, well, I'm going to go fishing. And some of the other disciples, they went with him and they decided to go fishing as well. And they, they fished all night and they didn't catch anything. And someone over on the beach hollers at them, probably, you know, 70 or 100 yards away, hollers at them and says, hey, have you guys caught anything? And they said, no, we've fished all night and we haven't catched not, caught nothing. And he said, well, you need to throw your nets on the other side of the boat. And they hauled in a magnificent catch. So much that John writes down, there's 153 fish caught. And they're amazed that it wouldn't break the nets. The second story talks about the threefold question that Jesus asked of Simon Peter. The threefold question of, do you love me? And then we have Peter's threefold response. And then the third story records the conversation between Jesus and Peter concerning John's call to discipleship. See, in the life of an old friend, John shows us a couple of ways that the Lord brings us to maturity. Isn't that what we desire, to be spiritually mature? To grow up in Christ? To know exactly who we are in Christ and what that means and how we can serve Him better? So let's eavesdrop in on the conversation here in John chapter 21, verse 15. It says, so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you, know, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. 
you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Verse 18, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now, this he said, signifying what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. See, what what Jesus says is remarkable. But what he doesn't say, says even more. He doesn't say to Peter, he doesn't say, some friend you turned out to be. He doesn't say, I'm real disappointed in you. He doesn't say, you let me down. He doesn't say, you're all talk, Peter. You coward. Where were you after they arrested me? Where did you go? He doesn't say, boy, was I ever wrong about you. And you call yourself a disciple? No, Jesus doesn't say any of that. Most of us, if somebody denied us, if they said they didn't even know us, if they began cursing and saying, no, I had never heard of that person, we wouldn't count them as a friend. We'd write them off. We might even give them a piece of our mind. We might even say, well, you weren't any good anyway. But not Jesus. Notice. See, my my point is this, is that first place here, John helps us to know, and you may want to write this down, that glaring sins in someone's life doesn't disqualify them from following Jesus. Glaring sins in someone's life does not disqualify them from following Jesus. Because Simon Peter's life was a life of betrayal. It was a testimony of betrayal. I mean, on that memorable night in the upper room, anxieties and fear gripped the group. I mean, they're all up there. They're not knowing what's going to happen. Jesus is telling them that he's going to suffer and die. And they're thinking, this is our leader. This is the one in charge. This is the man who fed the 5,000. This is the man who's done all of these miracles. This is the man who is the Messiah, the Christ, the one, the anointed one of God. This is the one who's going to free us, you know, uh, deliver us from the oppression that we are under. And Peter spoke with great confidence that night. And this is what he said. He said, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Even if others fall away, I won't. That's some self-assurance. Pretty full of himself, isn't he? Thinking, even if everybody else leaves you high and dry, I'm I'm with you to the bitter end. These are his words. See, Peter had boasted of his love for Christ and even contrasted it with all the other guys. I will lay down my life for your sake. His words in John 13. 
in Matthew 26. He said, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. I mean, there's more than a hint in Peter's words that somehow he thinks that he loves Jesus more than all the other disciples. Do you hear that? I mean, as if he is to say, well, you know, I I can see James and John falling away and, and definitely Thomas, but not me. Lord, I'm spiritually stronger. (laughs) I'm more devoted to you than they are. I've left everything to come and follow you. And I can see their commitment won't hold up, but mine will. Lord, I'm your man. Listen. Every one of us needs to beware of spiritual self-righteousness. Of spiritual self-confidence. Of believing that you're spiritually stronger than, than someone else. Or that you're more devoted than someone else. Oh, well, I've been on a mission trip now. I, I, I know that I won't fall away. Don't count on it. Or maybe I go door to door and evangelize. I knock on people's door I don't even know and evangelize. That doesn't make you more devoted. That doesn't make you more spiritually stronger than someone else. If you're wearing that as a badge of honor, maybe you're saying, well, I don't even own a television. Look at me. Look how humble and pious I am. I'm not saying I don't own a television. Don't misquote me. I own a television. But what if you say, well, I I drive a humble vehicle. Not a Humvee, but a humble vehicle. (laughs) But somehow we think that we're doing God a service. That somehow we feel like, you know, we're not going to fall because we've, we've, done, we've, we've, we've got a history with him or, or we've been someplace with God. But understand this, in Proverbs 16, 18, it says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I can just hear Peter saying, never me, Lord. You got me. You can count on me. You can take it to the bank. I will never fail you. I mean, how shocked Peter must have been when Jesus answered him in John 13, verse 37. He said, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Because truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow Until you deny me three times. You don't even know what you're saying, Peter. You're out of your mind. But the night turned to tragedy in Peter's life. Because when the the, the soldiers took Jesus. The once brave Peter followed. But at a very safe distance. He stayed that night by the open fire. And the young lady accused him. That she felt like that, that he was with the accused. And he denied it over and over and over again. John um, 18 verse 17 and 25 through 27. And it says that when Jesus was led from that place. That he looked and he saw Peter. 
And Peter couldn't say a word. Matthew's account says that he went out and he wept bitterly. Don't you know, ringing in his ears, Lord, I will never leave you. Lord, I will lay down my life for you. Lord, I will do whatever you ask. I will will be there for you. I don't know the guy. I never met him. No, I've never seen him. I'm not one of his. And when Jesus locked eyes with him, he had nothing. And it says he wept bitterly. But listen, through tears of repentance... Peter confessed his sins and he was restored to a redemptive community. And he became a dynamic part of the church's witness. I mean, how many other people might have discarded him because of his deep betrayal, but the Lord was to use him again. Think about this with me. The Pentecost sermon. He's preaching And 3,000 people come to know the Lord. Think about the healing of the man that was was lame. That was born lame. And and he was healed in the presence of all these people. The power that, that, that came through Peter. God was using him in an amazing way. Or his vision of the Gentile mission. That the, the gospel was for all people. Hallelujah. Because God included me. He included us in that salvation. You see, all of those testify to the fact that people can be forgiven. And they can grow. I'm glad we're not one and done. I'm thankful. I'm thankful that, that we serve a God of second chances. That he picks us up from where we are when we have that that spirit of of repentance, that desire to, to return to him. He picks us up from where we are and he forgives us and he gives us the opportunity to continue to grow. He doesn't just discard and throw away the clay. You see, John encourages us to know that the Lord can use each of us despite our glaring faults. Secondly, John points out in his passage here, he helps us to see that we cannot escape suffering. I mean, Peter wanted to escape suffering for himself and for his Lord. And after the conversation at Caesarea Philippi, when when Jesus began to tell the disciples, hey, I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. What what was it that that Peter said in, in Matthew 16? He said this, he took, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Folks, none of us, none of us desire, none of us like the crosses that we have to bear. Few of us, very few of us desire to bear others' burdens. Most of the time we're consumed with our own burdens and we really don't care about other people in that light. Now, those around us, those that we've developed a relationship with, we might consider that. 
But consider the fact that Jesus took care of our burdens while we were still sinners. See, Peter wanted to do away with the the pain and suffering of humanity and the opportunity to help others lighten their loads. He didn't want anything to do with that. But tradition informs us that Peter suffered martyrdom and would eventually discover that he must accept suffering in his own body. Do you realize that Peter preached for 37 years and he died when he was about 70 years old? Eusebius, first century historian, he tells us that Peter was crucified in Rome. He was crucified by Nero, but he asked that he be crucified upside down because he was not worthy to die exactly the same way that his master was was killed. Oh, and he did this after watching his wife be crucified. I mean, what kind of friend inspires devotion like that? What kind of person gives you that desire, inspires you to that kind of love? A friend who prayed for him when he was weak. A friend who forgave him when he failed. A friend who healed him of a painful memory. A friend who believed in him. A friend who first laid down his own life for him. A friend like Jesus. You know, sometimes we try so hard to avoid pain and suffering. And though it's not a popular theme, John focuses our attention on how Peter must, have, must accept his share with the suffering of others and the suffering of the suffering servant. Oh, if we want to enjoy the resurrection of Christ, we need to share in his suffering. We need to take one for the team. We need to be strong when others are weak. We need to to stretch out our arms and die for those around us. We need to be like Jesus. I know Paul said it this way in Philippians 3.10. He said that I may know Him. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. They go together. The power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. See, Peter's affection and his love for the Lord must be translated into care of his sheep. When Jesus asked him, do you love me? Do you love me? Three times, not to rub it in, but once for each denial. Do you love me? See, to give Peter an opportunity to openly confess his love... Sometimes that's hard for us to confess our love 
for someone else. You know, to, to be able to say, I love you. But notice, Jesus isn't there to inflict pain. He's there to relieve it. He's, he's there to allow Peter to say what's in his heart. He can see Peter's beer, uh, tear, bitter tears of, of repentance. And Jesus doesn't sit in heaven sharpening his red pencil, waiting to keep account of all of the marks that he's going to charge us with every time we fall on our face. See, an older, wiser Peter, he tells us years later in 1 Peter 4.8, he said, love covers a multitude of sins. Where do you think he learned that? He learned it on the beach in Galilee where Jesus picked him up and dusted him off. Well, he may, he may have wrung him out. He was wet from what I understand. He jumped in the, the sea and swam to the, the beach. But hey, you've been there too. And so have I. We've all been there. You've failed him. You've fallen. Maybe you've even eaten some sand. We all know what that's like. But there is love and there is forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And what he says is he says, okay, you've been forgiven and you know that I love you. Now get busy feeding my lambs. Get busy taking care of the sheep. See, I'm so privileged to be your shepherd, your under-shepherd, your pastor. And I don't ever want to do anything that would fail my Lord. I don't want to do anything that would compromise you all or fail you in any way. This great responsibility that God has given me to shepherd his flock. I know. I parallel Peter's life. So what do pastors need? Pastors need to love Jesus. That's the most important thing a pastor can do is to love Jesus. Memorial, I want you to know that I love Jesus Christ. I love him with all my heart. I have many areas of my own deficiency, but I love Jesus. I mean, what do families need? They need dads who love Jesus. What do husbands need? They need wives who love Jesus. What do single parent children need? They need a parent who loves Jesus. But you understand that our past failures can be forgiven in love. Thirdly, John records Peter's life as an example of how we should all be dependent. See, this lesson was hard for Simon Peter to learn. He was an independent businessman. He found that at this point in his life, he can't even fish without the Lord. He's out there, he's fished all night and he caught nothing. Jesus is saying, you need me. 
The image in verse 18 is of a young man who's able to take care of himself and to be independent. But later on in life, the young man would grow old and have to be in the recipient. He would be the recipient of care of others. And what's true in the aging process is really true in all of life. We are dependent on the Lord and we're dependent on others. Oh, we want to be independent. And we want to be fiercely independent. And we think we can do it on our own. But the reality is, is we need Jesus and we need others. <laughs> Reminded me of Peanuts comic strip. You know, Snoopy, he philosophizes and he's, he says, There's one thing I've always been proud of and that's the fact that I'm independent. And at a strategic moment, Charlie Brown walks out and he appears with Snoopy's meal. And Snoopy says, well, maybe I'm sort of dependent. Isn't that like us? Everything we have comes from God. And we think we're independent. He's the one who gives us the breath. He's the one who gives us the health. He's the one who provides all good things for us. And you see, spiritual growth begins when we realize that we cannot accomplish what we want by ourselves. We can't accomplish, accomplish the kingdom mission by ourselves. We can't, I can't accomplish uh, running my own household by myself. I need other people. And you need other people. And more importantly, we need the Lord. You remember when Peter was walking on the water? He saw the wind, that it was boisterous, that it was, that it was, that it was so tumultuous, and, and, and he was afraid, and he began to sink. And he cried out, and he said, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately stretched out his hand, and he caught him, and he said to them, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Peter's been to some amazing places with Jesus. Peter's seen some amazing things and still he is dependent upon the Lord Jesus. See, it's dangerous to look at others. It's dangerous for us to look at others and to see what they have and to see how they respond to Christ. It's dangerous to look at our circumstances. But rather we are to look to Christ. And you see... Following Him is much easier when our eyes are on Him. Following Him requires that we be focused on Him. See, it's very clear from this that Jesus had a plan, not only for Peter's life, but also for our lives. He wants us to accomplish something while we're here, but He also wants us to accomplish something in death. Peter's plan, God's plan for Peter's life, he would endure suffering, he would endure trials. John's objective, John may have died from natural causes. We see him exiled on the island of Patmos. Long, long life for John. But both of those are under God's sovereignty and under his plan. His arrangements for us are carefully chosen. 
in regard to the service that he has for us to do. Ultimately, to bring him glory. But you need to understand something. Comparing, comparing brings confusion. Because God doesn't compare us. He doesn't, he doesn't view us on a comparative basis. He's not saying, well, you know, you're, you're, you're here with Ridge, or you're here with Ridge. He doesn't have any comparison like that because he deals with us on an individual basis. Because he redeems us individually. He rebukes us individually. He rewards us individually. And when he tells Peter, follow me, in verse 19 he says, and when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. See, that's the challenge that Jesus gave to Peter. Follow me. He didn't say, follow John. He didn't say, follow the other disciples. He didn't say, follow the majority. He didn't say, follow Memorial Baptist Church. What he said was, follow me. And Peter followed him. Right into the excitement of the book of Acts. Oh, things got crazy then, didn't they? We saw the church expanding and exploding. And who was in the middle of it? Who was there? Peter, after being restored by Jesus. See, when John penned this letter some 60 years later, since Jesus had died 60 years before, he's writing this stuff down. And according to John's own testimony, this account is selective. It's not exhaustive. In other words, he said, I, I wrote some things down that Jesus did, but there was a lot more stuff. That could be said about it. He said the events are actual, not theoretical. It wasn't like he wanted to feed 5,000. He did feed 5,000 plus women and children. And then he also said the perf- purpose is specific. It's not vague. See, John's old friend Peter would travel a long way. He would travel a long way following Jesus. Despite... His betrayal, that glaring sin that everybody else saw, he was restored, he was forgiven. See, we need to remember him because his story is a lot like our story. I know his story is a lot like my story. But what we see in him is the powerful grace. Of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus asked each of us. This morning. Do you love me? Will you follow me? Will you stay focused. On your calling. Will you care. For my sheep. You know the reformer John Calvin. He used to close his letters with a seal. And it was a crudely drawn picture of a heart contained inside a hand 
And that was his seal. And it, became, it came to, to characterize the motto of Calvin in his work. My heart, O Lord, I offer to you promptly and sincerely. And that's what every Christian who's been affected by the love of Jesus Christ in the gospel responds to our Lord Jesus. Lord, here's my heart. Here's my life. Here's my all. It's yours and I live in response to your love. I'm going to ask if you would bow with me for just a moment. See, I wonder if you've said those words to Jesus. Have you seen your sins the way He sees your sins? Have, have you given up trying to hide and cover them up? Trying to stay ahead of them? Have you taken them and laid them at the feet of Jesus? Have you turned from those sins? Have you turned to Him? Because that's what it means to belong to Jesus. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Is that when you mess up, you take it to Him. And you ask Him to forgive you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Father, I'm thankful that you forgive us our sins because of the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that the things that we bring to you and confess to you, that you wipe away and you remember them no more. I'm thankful that you give us an opportunity to be forgiven and to grow. And that, Father, you can still use us as long as we have breath, as long as you see fit for us to carry out your purposes. You can still use us. Father, I pray that we would have a spirit of repentance in the way that we've grieved our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, through our unkind words, through our indifference, through our neglect, through our haughty spirit, through our attitudes, through our independence, our stiff-necked actions. Father, I pray for a spirit of repentance among your people. And God, that we would humble ourselves and pray and seek your face. So that times of refreshing and times of renewal, times of restoration in our relationships, Father, with you, but also with one another, that our relationships would be restored. And Father, that you would pick us up from out of the sand and dust us off. And Father, that we would still, even today, be useful in your kingdom. Lord, we praise you for what you are going to do. Lord, we praise you for the transformation of many, many, many lives. Father, I pray 
that you would, your Holy Spirit, would speak to our hearts and guide us into all truth. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.